Welcome to the third episode of Danny's Chop Shop here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Um, you can visit the socialsuplex.com for podcast columns and reviews on wrestling. And today I have a very special guest with me. Um, he's been in, he's like the heart and soul of Memphis wrestling besides Jerry Lawler, almost. Um, in my opinion, um, he's a promoter, commentator, booker, on-screen manager. He has done it all in pro wrestling. Randy Hales, how are you doing? Man, I'm excited about this. I'm in Tennessee. You're in Philadelphia, East Coast, Southern States. We're ready and rock and roll on Danny's Chop Chop. I'm excited about it, fired up, and we're ready to talk some wrestling tonight. Yes, and it, it's like I don't know where to start because you've been in the wrestling business since 1981. No, can I correct you on that? Yes, you can. My first wrestling job was in 1971 as a 10-year-old kid selling pictures of Eddie Marlin, of Jerry Lawler, Jerry Jarrett, Jackie Fargo, Tojo Yamamoto. I started ring announcing in 1973 and wow. uh, at that point i was like 13 years old and uh, you know i graduated high school in 80 i graduated college in 84 but i've been around a long long time as a young um kid selling pictures as an announcer and then i got involved in spot show promoting and then worked myself up and by 1986 i was a key member of the inner circle in the office. And then later on, of course, as um, you di didn't mention, and it's the thing I'm the most proud of, I was the owner, the founder, and the president of Power Pro Wrestling. It was the very first developmental center for the WWF, official on paper, a contract to be a developmental center. It was Power Pro Wrestling, and we were NXT, Danny. Before there was an NXT, we had Kurt Angle. We had Daniel Bryan. We had so many people, and I'm sure as we evolve into this conversation, we can talk about that as well. Because I, I, they probably got the date wrong because it was like, they said 1981, and it, they were 10 years off. Um, it was the Pro Wrestling Wiki, not your Wikipedia, but the fandom wiki. So it said 1981, so I assumed I was just doing a little research beforehand. And, and you were there for the Randy Savage pile driver on the table incident. Not it, only, not, yeah, not only was I there, I did Lance Russell, and this was a good thing. He was, uh, it was a bad thing because he was sick, he was in the hospital. That was a bad thing. The good thing for me was I always uh, worked in the co announcer in Memphis from, uh, and, and that did happen. And I started going to, maybe this is where you got 81. I started going to the Mid-South Coliseum matches and started announcing in Memphis, a co-announcer to Lance in 1981. 
Well, this match happened, if memory serves me correct, in a lot of time, as I'm scaring the heck out of 60 years old. My memory is not the greatest, but I believe that match that you're talking about, it was the Rock and Roll Express and the Poffos. I did commentary, Terry. I believe it was in June or July of 1984, and I still watch that back a lot, and so many people ask me about that. Yes, and you... You've seen countless, you've been in the business since 1971, and you've seen countless names in the wrestling industry. Who are some of your favorites to watch back when you were first getting into the business and when you were a fan when you were a kid? Well, you know, it was a different world back then. Remember uh, back when I started watching here was the TV situation. We could get like four channels, and that's all. Uh, independent uh, station and the ABC, NBC, and CBS. At that point, the ABC affiliate, which uh, it was Channel 13, and it is now the Fox affiliate, so that has been changed. However, it was Channel 13, WHBQ. That's the first wrestling I ever watched, and that was around 1971. And my favorites... At that point in the beginning were certainly the local people and the fabulous Jackie Fargo, the great team of Jerry Jarrett, Tojo Yamamoto, Eddie Marlin, Tommy Gilbert. There were so many. Rick Gibson was a top star here, the brother of Rock and Roll Express member Robert Gibson. Also, as far as the other side of the coin, the people, the people, the wrestlers, the people didn't like Don and Al Green, gentlemen saw Weingroff, Dr. Ken Ramey, uh, and there's uh, others. My favorite tag team to hate was Don and Al Green, but the interns were mean tag team as well. And then starting in 1974, and I was announcing uh, by then uh, for, uh, for sure, but in 1974, Jerry Lawler, fresh off a tag team run, with Jim White, manager Sam Bass, drew a lot of money. In 74, they decided, Jerry Jarrett booking, and he wasn't even the owner yet. He was the booker, and he decided to go as uh, change the territory from a tag team territory to a single territory, went with Jerry Lawler. And I've seen Jerry Lawler against everybody from Jack Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, Harley Race, Nick Bonkwinkle, Dick the Bruiser, the Sheik. We can go on and on and on. And so if anybody wants to debate me on the fact who is the best original drawing card in the territory days ever, who had the longest run, and that would be the greatest in-ring worker, the greatest talker I've ever seen if you base it on his whole career and that's from Memphis, Tennessee, Jerry the King Lawler. And I do have a dog in the hunt here, but still, I really believe that. Was Goulas involved when you came into the business? Nick Goulas? He he and Roy Welch owned the company. He never came to Jonesboro, Arkansas, my hometown, every Saturday night. He didn't even go to the Memphis matches. Nick Goulas and Roy Welch were the owners. However, Jerry Jarrett was booking. Nick, there was a, a Roy end of the territory and a Nick end of the territory. Roy's end 
was the Memphis Inn, and Jerry Jarrett, even when he was just a booker, opened up Louisville, Kentucky, Evansville, Indiana, Lexington, Kentucky, that sort of thing. Next in was Birmingham, Chattanooga, Nashville, Huntsville. So there was two different ends of the territory. Now, to this, uh, obviously, Nick passed away in the 90s, I, I think, uh, I'm accurate on that, the early 90s. Anyway, I've never met Nick Goulas in my life, never met Roy Welch in my life. They didn't come around. Right. And then they had the split in the mid-70s when Jerry Jarrett took in charge. Am I correct on that one? March 1977, Jerry Jarrett split off from Nick Goulas at that point. They were canceled by Channel 13, the ABC affiliate, in March of 1977 is when they went to Channel 5, 1960 Union in Memphis, Tennessee. And I just watched today on a platform that I was doing for myself, and I'm sure we can get all those plugs in later, but I just did a thing where I played the 1,000 show that from the TV5 studio, and that happened, uh, I believe I'm right on this date, uh, is uh, October 96 is when we got 1,000 in. I'm not 100% positive about that, but we just talked about that. So, yeah, at that situation and time, it was until 1977, it was basically two separate territories. Right. Right. There was a Jarrett territory and there was a uh, Goulas territory. Um, and you worked Abs- with the Jarrett ter- oh. territory. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as a kid selling pictures, I'll tell you how much money I was making. That was a different time in the 70s. I, the pictures were sold to the people, to the fans, and the programs were sold to the fans for 50 cents. And I got five cents a program or five cents a picture. So it was not like I was getting rich. Right. Right. Uh, did you run into Cornette? When did you first run into Cornette? When he started coming to Memphis as a photographer. So I would guess 1981. So Jimmy and I have been friends. We don't talk a lot because he's always been a hard to get on the phone. However, uh, he stopped by to visit me and Eddie Marlin uh, toward the end of the year this uh, this past year. And, and so I went out to a Comic-Con that he was at in Nashville, this seems. So Jimmy Cornette, obviously one of the most entertaining people and one of the most successful managers in the history of the world. And we have a fantastic relationship. Yes, um... I was just wondering if you ran into Jim during his photography days. Oh, absolutely. I remember him a classic Terry Funk, Jerry Lawler match. He was at ringside and that might've been 81 or 82. I'm thinking 81. I'm thinking Jimmy started managing in 82, but in that situation, when the Funk Lawler deal, I believe that was the first time I ever remember meeting Jim Cornette. And I want to correct something. If I can correct myself, Right now, when I was talking about the 1,000th show, I don't know why I said October. I know better than that. It was April 96. April 96 when we did that uh, 1,000 show, April the 13th. So we don't want anybody 
to listen to Danny's Chop Shop and say Randy <laughs> Hills is giving out false information. That's not going to happen. Right. And WMC5 is now the NBC affiliate in Memphis. And was it independent back in the day? No. Back back in the day when I first started watching, actually, there, there was um, Channel 3 was... ABC, Channel 5 was NBC, and Channel 13 was ABC, and the independent station is 24. Now, in 2019, and it has been for years and years and years and years, 24 is now uh, the ABC affiliate, and Channel 13 is the Fox affiliate. CBS still Channel 3, Channel 5 is still NBC. And what made that studio so special? Well, there's a couple of different things, and I think it was special. You know, and can I ask you a personal question just to give me a reference here, if you don't mind saying on the air? If not, you can delete me or block me or edit me or whatever you want to do. Simple question. How old are you? I'm 23. I don't care how people knowing my age. (laughs) Okay. I certainly don't care. I'm 50, be 58, so I'm scaring the heck out of 60. I say that a lot, but I don't think I look almost 60. But I just want to reference the fact that it's almost impossible for you to understand the territory system and even not even that, the television broadcasting world back then, because it was so different. You would get three or four channels and you can't understand that no cable back then when i first started watching wrestling so i thought the only wrestling there was was the wrestling i saw on memphis Memphis tv and live matches in my hometown every saturday night in jonesboro i started watching 13 my point is you at age 23 the stuff when you what, what time period did you first get hooked on wrestling 2005. 2005. Oh, my God. I was out of wrestling full-time by the time you started watching wrestling. But in life, you go back to things as a kid. Still, I like to watch. uh, Still today, not wrestling-related, certainly, and I do a lot of that. But in other things, too, I love John Wayne movies, and I love the Andy Griffin show. As far as wrestling is concerned, I like watching a lot of that classic wrestling. So you go back to what you grew up with. And my point is, I started watching from WHBQ. TV was so, so different back then. The Channel 13 show, and this is my first memory of it. And now, first of all, I'm no Johnny Cash. I'm no Waylon Jennings. I'm no... Garth Brooks, but I'm going to sing a jingle and that quality of my singing will be horrible. But this is how <laughs> this is how the wrestling show started. And this is what hooked me. And here we go. It's America's favorite sport on WHBQ television. And then it went directly to Lance Russell and Dave Brown. And Lance would say, hello again, everybody. Lance Russell and Dave Brown coming to you live from the studios of WHBQ Television, 487 South Highland in Memphis, Tennessee. We have a big card scheduled today, Davey. 
And that's how it started. The raw part of wrestling, when it's live and it's raw and it's not overly produced, it's not overly slick, it looks a little rough. I love that. And I love the philosophy that is my booking philosophy. And I learned that, obviously, in Memphis, my philosophy of booking is expect the unexpected. That's what I tell them. But uh, what I don't say, thinking as I'm booking, I, my philosophy is expect the unexpected, expected, but then, I don't advertise this, but in my mind, it's expect the unexpected, but make it make sense. And that's the key. I love studio there. So Channel 13, I have so many great memories watching as a fan there from Jerry Lawler dressing up like a woman and coming out of the audience and beating up Jerry Jarrett and Tojo Yamamoto. Jerry Jarrett sitting down with Uncle Elmer, who was then Plowboy Frazier, who was teaming with Jerry Lawler, and Lawler was given all kinds of fancy gifts, but Jerry Jarrett exposed it to the people, a live television audience that ended up selling out the Mid-South Coliseum. So Jerry Jarrett set big Plowboy Frazier down on the floor, down on the floor, and he was exposing the fact he was being, Frazier was being cheated, so made him take that diamond ring that Lawler said he gave him, and he said, diamonds don't bust, and he busted it with a hammer, and then Lawler exposed the, or Jarrett exposed the fact that Lawler was cheating him, that ended up with Frazier turning babyface, remember that. Channel 5, of course, and Channel 13, I never went to. Channel 5, never went to a fan. The very first time I went to TV5 was I was uh, part of the uh, creative team, the booking team, in the office with Lawler, Lawler's assistant booker in 1986. So the first time I went to it, in this word, the first time I went to the TV5 thing, I was helping run it. Wow. So it's like you're just thrown to the wolves right away. Well, as far as throwing to the wolves, not so much because, uh, you know, I was helping run it, but it was a show laid out and written by Jerry Lawler. So basically he would say, hey, Randy, this first segment is blah, 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 blah. Go set up that match or go give – so Robert Gibson, the interview, two minutes, um, that sort sort of thing. But then it was uh, my responsibility to get with the talent and then, uh, you know, keep up with the timing of the thing. But it 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 wasn't so so stressful. Watched it enough to know what we were looking at and just learning, you know, the timing part of the show and uh, that sort of thing. And I I would think that even by then uh, I had written TVs before on trips with Jerry Jarrett as an exercise. He was doing, I've told the story a million times. It was an exercise uh, just to get me ready for the future because he felt, and I felt I wanted to be the person to replace Lance Russell. He felt basically that uh, my talent would be because he felt that uh, I understood what it took to draw money, and I understood the booking thing. So basically, he and Jerry Lawler both 
taught me. And so, so I don't feel at all I was thrown to the wolves. I had some of the best help you could possibly have right. there. I didn't mean it in a negatory way. It was more like, it was more like you're thrown to the wolves when you're running a TV show that you're not expecting to run in that aspect. And then, and then I sort of understand where you're coming from. It's like, oh, I, I don't, re- I'm never, I'm never going to grasp, like, having only three channels, only having this amount of choices, because today we have 10 million choices. But I, I have an appreciation for, for old culture and, and learning history. And I just love hearing people talk about it. I do too. And I'm still fascinated about it big time. And here's another thing you were saying that you won't be able to fully comprehend. And I can tell you this, what I can't fully comprehend, even though I try to stay modern, I try to keep up with, um, with, with culture and with wrestling and all that. I try to keep up. But if I walked into WWE today or ROH or Major League Wrestling or AEW or whatever, I would be lost. I really would be because the style has evolved. And I'm not saying that I couldn't learn it and couldn't be able to relate. Another thing, the biggest part of being the booker is that you have to be able to communicate and relate to the talent. That's one thing. People don't understand. I'll tell you a story. The first time, as an assistant booker, they respected me. Uh, as uh, somebody giving messages, and even though sometimes it was my finishes, I presented it like it was Jerry Lawler's or Jerry Jarrett's. The first time I was responsible by myself, 89, the respect wasn't there yet. I was a little cocky, and I imagine that. And I was not, didn't do a very good job. I second guessed myself on that. However, when I started, when I took back over in '94 after being away a little bit, and I started with the concept before I was even the booker, I was the assistant for Lawler again. I came up with Monday Night Memories which was a Legends type of show. It took place at the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum on Monday night, March the 7th. Don't need any paperwork. Don't need any research for that. It's one of my favorite nights of my career. And so everybody knew, because Lawler told them, that it was my deal. And even though he was booking, I put the pre-produced segments together, advertising it, that... TV I wrote and laid out and that night it was the show that I was running so that when you almost sell out of Mid-South Coliseum when you have the best house that you've had in that building in five years and when the day before that you had a great house in Louisville and a great house that Saturday night in Nashville you got three things so the crew we had there had confidence in me when a few weeks later, Lawler says, well, heck, you need to take this thing over immediately. I got Lance Russell to come back. I had the relationship, not that he didn't, but I was in contact with him regular, and that was a big thing about that March the 7th Monday Night Memory Show was having Lance come back. That sold the tickets, I think. But anyway, so I had credibility there. And then I had one of the longest continual runs 
as a booker uh, in the Memphis Territory history, 94 to early 97. And the key to that run was that I had a good relationship with the talent, especially the top talent. I had the core crew, and the core crew was PG-13, Jamie Dundee, Wolfie D, Brian Christopher with his big first babyface run. I had Tommy Rich, a veteran in the territory. I had Doug Gilbert. I had Miss Texas, Jackie Moore. I had Brandon Baxter. I had a crew that believed in me, and also I had a owner, and it was Jerry Lawler because Jerry Jett at this point, no involvement at all. I had an owner in Jerry Lawler that didn't double second guess me at all. And he certainly uh, pretty much, uh, I would set the direction of uh, who I had scheduled for him to wrestle, but he had tremendous input and pretty much booked itself. It just all worked together. Led to that good year of 94, the great year of 95 with the Smoky Mountain USWA program. But folks, just because... Yo, and this is not to be an insult, but I do get aggravated because so many people, and you know how Twitter is these days, that everybody thinks they're the the expert and they can do a better job than Vince is doing or do a better job uh, than whoever, you know, Cody Rhodes or Tony Khan or whatever. Unless you've been there, it's not as easy as you think because here I have decades of experience inside the wrestling business and have a pretty good resume where I can say, this is what I've done. This is stuff that's been successful. You know, I can say that. However, I know there's no way in the world that I could walk in and not that they would do it anyway in a national wrestling company, whether, no, I don't care who it is, MLW, I've been out of it too long. Plus, the main thing is I don't have trust or credibility with the talent. And again, you can't just sit down at a laptop or computer and write a television show without knowing, well, is John Cena responsible? Is John Cena reliable? Is Roman Reigns reliable? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? You know, that sort of thing. Are they good on scripted programs? Do they have to have it? Or can they ad-lib, which is what I like best, using bullet points? So there's so much people don't understand. But a key to it, Danny, is that can you imagine going, um, just uh, let's use uh, Brock Lesnar or uh, not a good example because uh, I've uh, I met him in OVW when I went out went up to uh, be a part of a seminar with Bobby Eaton. But basically, let's just use Kurt Angle. So here is an Olympic gold medalist, and right. he's just starting his wrestling career, just starting. And so here he comes to me. He doesn't know anything about pro wrestling. He took it. Uh, to it as good as anybody I've ever seen, but he didn't know. And he certainly, certainly didn't know anything about Memphis wrestling, but I was able to communicate with him what I needed to do, smarten him up to what uh, the Memphis territory was and didn't have and knew how to talk to him. I knew he was an Olympic gold medalist. I knew 
that he was green. I knew he was fixing to come in and have his first match ever on television. So I knew how to handle that. You know, you have to have experience, credibility, and and the knowledge to communicate, if that makes sense. Yes, it, absolutely it does. Because, because a lot of people, and I, I even see this when, I I I'm, I help behind the scenes at the Monster Factory um, with video production. So, so like like sometimes you throw ideas out and you don't know everybody. You're not around everybody every day. You're not you're not training with them. You're not doing enough where you can form a relationship with them. And and it sh- and you know it it's hard to manage a wrestling company. Manage different personalities. Manage, manage, ju- just the juggling act of it all. You know, I don't know if my hair is a lot gray now because of the wrestling business, or just that I'm getting old. I don't know, but it is a stressful <laughs> job that you can't relate. I can't relate to how the travel schedule is getting on a plane every day because it was a car for us, and I can tell you that working. At least six nights. Once a month, uh, we would go se- seven nights and travel in the car 2,000 miles a week. We were living the life of either, maybe both, but I would say a truck driver and a rock star. Maybe both, for sure. The lifestyle was, and it was, wasn't very healthy, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. Right, right. And you're not going to, you're not... And you just realize when you're in the business, you realize what's good for you and what's not. Oh, absolutely. And there's been a period of my life that I knew what was bad for me, but did it anyway. It was the life on the road and the life in the wrestling business. And I say now, that was stupid what I did, but do I want to take it back? No, because, you know, it's just the experiences you get and nobody is perfect and everybody has had their demons on uh, in their life and obviously in the wrestling business especially back in the the time uh, you know there was a lot of demons and a lot of party and a lot of wild stuff i'll tell you a funny story and let's talk about the uh, the current wrestling but let's go back six or seven eight years do you want to hear a funny story that compares the boys of today against the, the um our our group the the old timers back in the back yeah, you want to hear that story of course well this is a good story and i don't know if i've told this before probably have because it's such a great story after wrestling went away for me when power pro wrestling ended in 2001 i was lucky enough to become a partner in some sonic drive-ins did that for 12 years honestly made a lot of money made a lot of friends it was great but i got the itch for the road and even though i knew i didn't want to be a part of corporate wrestling superstar bill dundee was working for cole brothers circus ronnie west the great referee working for co-brother circus several wrestling people and it was the old time circus they traveled uh, all over the east coast it was called co-brother circus and so we went from new york to 
uh, New Jersey to Washington, D.C., or close to around Philadelphia. We were all over the place. Then we'd work. We'd start in Florida, work up to New York, then start working back. And before we ended in Florida in November, because the season was March to November, we were running New Orleans, Louisiana area. And I believe the name of the place uh, that I was at the time, I don't even remember. I was fixing to say Slidell, uh, but I, I'm not sure exactly what the name of the town. I think it was Slidell, Louisiana. However, I was working as a marketing director, and it was a lot of fun. It was the closest thing to the wrestling business that I've ever had in my life. So I was at this motel. Here's the story. I was at this motel, and the great thing, especially if you're a wrestling business person, especially an old-school wrestling business person, that this hotel had a Waffle House right next door, Danny, right yeah. next door. So that's exciting. So I go over there, and I end up setting down a booth by myself, and I order. Then all of a sudden, I see about two or three cars pull up. And then I look out, and, you know, I always have continued to keep up with wrestling. And by this point, I don't remember exactly uh, everybody that was involved. I think Corey Graves was one of them. Some big dudes, I think Luke Harper, I think. You know, what was the uh, Bray Wyatt's first group? Who was with him on his first group? Eric Rowan, who is still with the company, and Luke Harper. Okay, all of them. They were all there. So they get out of their cars. Now, I know who they are, right? So I see them. And then I'm thinking, man, business is about to pick up. The boys are here. This will be wild. This will be crazy. No tell. They'll break chairs. They'll raise heck. They will be cussing. They will be yelling. They will be loud. They will be acting like fools. And I was so, Danny, looking forward to it. I was so excited. So they came in, and of course, the people working there and the customers saw them, right? And uh, then, so they did their deal, and I'll tell you that in a, a minute, and I'm not the type, because obviously not a one of them knew who I am, and and then I'm not the type to go up to them, I'm in the, I was in the business too, because, you know, how many times a day do you think they see that, right? Now, I, could, I can prove it. Yeah, I can prove it. I can grab my phone, but... Probably, I don't know, maybe the the Wyndham's, because they've been in the business all their lives, maybe they would uh, have a knowledge of that. But however, uh, you know, I wasn't going to chance it. So, But I was expecting fireworks. But then I was sitting there, and finally, I text Jerry Lawler. And I said, I have I texted him this. I said, I'm in a, a Waffle House. The WWE crew, the White family's here. This person's here. And I said, said King, I have never, ever been so embarrassed in my life. And, <laughs> and then he wrote back. He wrote back. He said, oh, my gosh. He said, what's the problem? What are they doing wrong? And I said, well, the problem is... They're not doing anything wrong. I say, they're saying yes, sir. They're saying uh, no, sir. They're saying yes, ma'am. They're holding doors for little old ladies. These are 
tough little heels. They are signing everybody's autograph. They are, I said, I can hardly hear them for boots the way they are behaving more than any wrestlers I have ever seen in my life. And I told him, I said, it's about to make me throw up. You know, obviously I was ribbing him, but that was the situation. And my point, Danny, is, and this is a good thing, especially with all the social media and all the cameras and all the spies and all that sort of thing and the way the world is, PC. You can't get away with doing stuff that was done years ago. And I wasn't actually upset. I just was shocked. I was shocked, and I was trying to be funny to law, basically, but I was yeah, shocked. You're, behavior. You're, you're like, man, these guys are so boring. <laughs> right, it's because they're scared, you know, and they know how society, I'm not blaming them, it's just the way society is. I know absolutely the stuff we used to do. I'll tell you one of the stories, again, that happened to me that I should have learned my lesson, but I didn't. So we were in on a Friday night and we were in a town up to Kentucky on a Friday night. We normally didn't like to do that, a long drive, and we had to be at Memphis TV, which was about 450, miles at that point the next morning and had to be at TV at nine o'clock in the morning. However, you ever heard of Ronnie Gossett? I heard the name. Ronnie Gossett was been involved in a long time, had been involved a long time, was friends with Jeff, and later became a manager. He's passed away now. Rest in peace, Ronnie P. Gossett. However, so my writing click at the time for TVs every week, it was normally just me and Jeff. That meant that one of us had to behave, right? Uh, because we couldn't have uh, either one of us, if there's just two of us in the car, doing silly stuff, drinking or doing whatever. We couldn't do that. However, this particular day, Ronnie was driving, and Ronnie didn't drink, so Jeff and I both did, and we obviously got a little rowdy. Then, so we stop about 80 miles from Memphis, and and I don't know why in the world, at 3 o'clock in the morning, but this lady was in there with her or young kids, maybe 8 to 12 years old, right? And I don't know why I didn't think about this till right now. Why would a bunch of young, close to being babies, uh, certainly elementary, and if they're lucky, they were junior high people. No, I would say they were elementary. But anyway, so, you know, we walked in, and and the people that worked that truck truck stop, we came in all the time. It was called Sugar Creek Truck Stop. So we walked in and said, hey, you know, what the hell is going on here? Hey, man, good to see you. And me and Jeff both just being rowdy. And we were been drinking and, and that sort of thing. So we sat down and all, all that. And the people that work there like that. Part one of the story. Part two of the story is, thank the good Lord, Jerry Jarrett was on vacation. He was gone. And then probably on a Wednesday or a Thursday, we got the mail at, uh, I got the mail at the office, as a matter of fact, and then I got a uh, phone call, and I handed the mail to Jeff. Uh, it was Jeff, just me and Jeff in, in the office, and I said, when I talk on this phone call, look through the mail, and then I saw him turning white, and then he, uh, he said, get off the phone, Randy, you need to read this. Well, this lady 
that I, I just told you about that was in there with her kids wrote a letter to Jeff, wrote a letter to me, and wrote a letter to Jerry Jarrett. It was basically the same letter, but it basically said, I watch you guys on TV all the time. I was so excited. My kids were so excited. When Jeff Jarrett and Randy Hales, TV5 wrestling stars, walked in, and it was awful. Said they were drunk. They were rowdy. They were yelling. They were screaming, Ba ba ba! When there's fans around, when there's little kids around, you shouldn't act like that. Well, first of all, do you, to, in defense of us, would you expect you a young kid stops? <laughs> what? Why? First off, uh, you broke up. Repeat that. Why would you? Why would you take a little kid to a truck stop? That's right. my question. I mean, in 2019, you get shot, I'm afraid. You couldn't do that now. But anyway, so she shamed us on the thing. And this is the high spot of the story. Jeff had his letter. I had mine. And still unopened was that other letter. And Jeff said, Dad is going to kill us. And this is the only felony. I probably shouldn't admit to it. But on Danny's Chop Chop, I will. The only felony that I've ever committed in my life, I committed right then. And I threw that letter unopened in the trash bin and Jerry Jarrett never saw it because uh, I was saving, obviously I don't know the language barriers here, so I'm trying to be careful here. I would say I, I was saving my A word, but I don't know if we can say that. But anyway, you guys get the point. I was saving my butt and saving Jeff's butt. But that is the point, and I'm so glad now. And that was embarrassing. I was embarrassed then, but it obviously didn't stop us from doing that as well because we continued to live the life of the wrestling business, and that was just the time. And the good thing about wrestling to, today is that because the WWE is corporate and investors and everything they have, they watch the conduct of the wrestlers. So the boys aren't the boys no more. No, no, no. Everybody watches the conduct of wrestlers. It's our society now. We watch the conduct of our actors and our athletes and our wrestlers. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's just a different time. And, and I understand why they're not doing what used to be done and they'll probably live longer lives. And that's all Great. I just think the thing, and this is not going to be an anti-modern wrestling because uh, I like current wrestling. I really do. I like a lot of stuff that the WWE is doing. I loved, loved it. I love the last Extreme Rules pay-per-view. I love Raw reunion. You know, I love, except for the pre-shows, I love, I'm so excited about AEW. I watch MLW. I've never been hooked on Ring of Honor, to be honest with you. Watched it a few times, don't know much about it. I am so fired up and so excited and watched the entire G1 tournament, and that's so good. I love that. So this is not a knock on on the talent today because I realize it evolves. However, what I like, the wrestling that I really like, is based on wrestlers being characters and uh, unpredictability. Again, I'll say again, life of a rock star. That's what it is to me. But I realize with dealing with 
the corporate and dealing with major television networks. You just can't do that anymore. But I miss the good old days. Right. But you have appreciation for the modern age and people are telling different stories. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Right. Um, they're telling a story. They're telling stories and they're being as athletic as possible. And and that's how wrestling has evolved. You know, it's funny. And it took a while once I I started kind of getting involved. And I have all kinds of projects doing to take advantage of my career and the history. I'm sort of a self-proclaimed ambassador of Memphis wrestling. I do my own podcast, Memphis Memories. I do uh, two regular Talking Memphis Wrestling Facebook live shows. I just debuted recently a monthly show that is uh, called A Memphis Tradition Saturday Morning Studio Wrestling, and that is great. I do a Twitter live. I do all this kind of, kind of thing. Bo James? Do what now? Patreon with Bo James? That's com- coming up. Uh, it's the idea that I pitched to him because he has some great stories. I love him. You can catch If you've never heard of Bo James, catch him at kingofkingsport.com. And he has, yeah, he was on the Between the Sheets with me. He was on your show. And did, he's a talking fool and he's a historian, has a lot of information. And he can, uh, that's why I like doing stuff with him. So a whole lot going on. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I still watch a lot of uh, current wrestling as much as I can, Danny. Yep. I, I do too, huh? And I, I should make it more of a prior, not a priority because I have other interests, you know, but more, more make, make an effort, concede an effort to watch. Oh, like when the hidden gems come out, I watch like the hidden gems and stuff like that. Like I watched the Crockett cup 86, but that's um, not, that's not modern wrestling though, my man. Oh, I know. But I concede an effort to watch classic wrestling as much as I do modern wrestling. That's you cool. Know? That that is cool. There's just so much going on. So we're going all over the place on this road trip. We're going from Tennessee to Philadelphia. We've been to New Orleans. Where are we going next? We are Danny. going wrestler name game. I'm gonna name a wrestler you've worked with personally. And just think of something that you have associated with them. Can I knock them? You cannot. Can you I can cuss them? Can I cuss them? Want, but we're going to keep it positive. Can I cuss anybody? What's the yes. cussing rules here? Um, lenient. Lenient. Okay, but I can promise you right now. You will not hear the language on this show, which is Danny's Chop Shop. You will not hear the language on this show that you will hear on the drive-thru or Jim Cornette experience. <laughs> I won't act like that. Let's start with Jimmy. <laughs> no, he's just been like that his whole life. He's great. I love him to death, but man, he has a temper and a part of the deal that he does, he is to get attention and that getting heat, getting controversy. That's how he's made his living his whole life. And I love his podcast and never, never miss it. However, at the case, 
some of his views, just, you know, as well. Uh, just because me and you friends doesn't mean I'll like everything you like or you'll like everything I like. Same thing no, with, no. with Jimmy. And I, I like him. I love him to death and don't agree with everything he says. The difference is with Jimmy is that if you don't agree with him, then you're the enemy. You know, he he basically real strong-willed on the fact that it is what it is. And not just wrestling-wise, but Wendy-wise. You know, the triple cheeseburger at Wendy's. I mean, he just has strong opinions, and he is. But I love Jim Cornette. Don't forget about Sprite. Oh, absolutely sure. So I got you. Name game. Don't stump me. Don't. I was on a podcast earlier uh, several uh, months ago, and I forgot what the name was, but they weren't very well-researched, and you are very real well researched and they asked me so what i'm only gonna do like names i really know too so it's right right let me tell you this story this person asked me and this was a correct question and we'll see if you know what's wrong with this question then if you don't know that's fine because you're not asking me the question so you don't have to know this but so this lady asked me a question and they said said yes randy he said tell me as many of the experience as you had working with Ricky Steamboat at the Mid-South Coliseum and at TV5 Wrestling at the studios on Union Avenue, all your experiences and working with him in the Memphis Territory. Tell you don't me. remember your experiences with Ricky Steamboat. Do what? You don't, ex- you don't remember all your experiences with Ricky Steamboat. So it's no, like... No, it the, the, it's not that I don't... Remember, there was never any experiences because Ricky Steamboat never worked the Memphis Territory ever, ever, no time. So that was a problem with that question, and you know I basically just said that. So if you ask me something about somebody that I have no clue with, I'll just tell you. Robert and Ron Fuller. Robert and Ron Fuller. I had more of a personal relationship with Robert Fuller. Then traveled a lot with him, did silly, silly stuff with him. Even was invited to his families, his immediate family, his wife and his kids, and Jimmy Golden. Probably in, I would guess, 87 or 88, maybe it was 88, invited to uh, there to their home for Thanksgiving one time. And I won't tell you what our party favors were, and that was like a first for me. But anyway, Robert Fuller was great. Great to travel with, great stories. Ron as well, a lot of respect for him. I recently, a couple of months ago, had him on my podcast, Danny, and he was a guest when we were looking at doing a deep dive on the history of the Southern title. You can go to these podcasts. All, a lot of them are archived up at randyhillsmemphiswrestling.com. You can go listen to my podcast with Ron and with Robert. I have tremendous friendship with Robert and when we talked for the first time in 10 years on this podcast it all came back with Ron I just met him once or twice but I have tremendous respect for him starting southeastern moving it to Alabama going to continental and the success he's had in the hockey franchise type department Ron and Robert Fuller are great and as a wrestling talent probably first saw Robert in uh, maybe 1974, and he had some great matches early on with Jerry Lawler. Then later on, 
when I was in the office, he and the stud stable was the big part. So the Fullers, both of them, I love them. Dirty white boy Tony Anthony. Tony, and forgive me if I get my years wrong, because obviously we didn't have a production meeting. We don't have any notes. I had no clue, and I like it this way. I had no clue of what we're going to talk about. Uh, so I did obviously going to the top of my head, not research. I think Tony Anthony first came here in 83 as a part of a tag team called the Grapplers with Lynn Denton, D-E-N-T-O-N. However, the very next year, 84, they came back again as the Dirty White Boys, and they were uh, had the mask off there. Tony Anthony had several runs in Memphis. He Also, he had the Dirty White Girl with him at one point, one of the prettiest young ladies I've ever seen in my life, and she was a big part of his package. I really liked Tony. You know, he had a lot of success with Smokey at Mountain Wrestling, and he was also uh, a... Um, uh, close to a main event, to a main event type of, in that, maybe not main event every week, but sometimes throw him in there. He was a great talent, and I like him a lot. EG-13. They were not my creation. They were, that. I always liked this. They were their own creation in the independence, the outlaws, as we called they put themselves together. It was an idea, I think, of Wolfie D. Kelly Warren Wolf is his name. And he was a young kid, grew up watching Memphis wrestling in Nashville and going to the sports arena and he wanted to be a wrestler. And his stepdad was a wrestler. And he was trained as, I think he had his first match maybe at 15. Jamie Dundee was the son of Bill Dundee. Need I say more on that? He was doing these in the and he had worked a little in the Memphis office, too, as kind of a, a manager of his dad and as a, a heel with his dad. But he was undersized, just like Whoopi was. That was no big deal to me in the Memphis territory. Then Whoopi got the PG-13 gimmick, and they presented it to Jeff Jarrett. And Jeff liked it, and Jeff said, well, come to the office and present this to my dad. He liked it too. However, this was in 92, 93, something like that. They were positioned as a underneath mid card at best tag team, either as heels, maybe as a baby face a time or two, but it was never as the main thing, but the people were reacting to them better than a lot of people that were getting major, major pushes. Now in 94, Around probably, it was after the memory show, and maybe May or June, maybe even July, I started the push. They were, I put them in a USWA Tag Team Championship match with the Eliminators, Perry Saturn, John Cronus, and they were a tough team. And I put PG over, switched the belt. We returned it five weeks in a row, and they, they had their hand raised. They might get the crap beat out of them. And I was going for the sympathy uh, team that was undersized, that the people would get with big time. And I was trying to go younger because Jerry Lawler not making many shots then. Jerry Jarrett not around the territory. Jeff was in the WWF uh, type of thing. So I went as my core baby faces, Brian Christopher Lawler. By the way, we just recently, uh, it was the one-year anniversary of his death, uh, 
few weeks or a month ago, whatever the case, but hate that very much. But at the same time, I went all the way with them and I established Hills and that 94, 95, 96, I turned PG-13 into main event talent. It was their characters. It was their deal. They wasn't overproduced. They needed a direction. That's what Jerry Jarrett had always done. That's what I did. They weren't micromanaged. The direction was micromanaged, actually, but the actual interviews and the actual matches were not at all. And they became over. They're both uh, great, uh, great guys. I appreciate that run because my legacy is uh, two things. The Power Pro run that Wolfie was a part of and Jamie wasn't because Jamie is hard to handle. He can can uh, have demons and that sort of thing. So he was not on one Power Pro show, but Wolfie was. And as a featured, he was a USWA champion. But as a team, man, they were the right thing at the right time. And that uh, period was the 94 was the best year Memphis wrestling had in five years. And they were a big key part of it. So if you have any more specific questions about them, but basically I love PG 13, watch some of their stuff from the Smoky mountain USWA war, uh, just last week. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, and even before that, when I did Between the Sheets podcast, they showed me some video, and I got chills. That's good stuff. They're underrated. There was a great team. It was not in the glory day time period. We were right uh, at starting the Monday Night Wars and that era, and uh, national wrestling was big time. But PG-13 and Brian Christopher, Tommy Rich, Doug Gilbert, Jackie Moore, Brandon Baxter, all those people. I owe, I would, my name wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do your podcast. Nobody would care. You wouldn't care. This is what got me going. And PG-13 was a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. And you talk about the, the influence is big with PG-13 because you watch a lot of those tapes and they were ahead of their time. Yeah. Uh, now, as far as the character at that point, what was I uh, born in '61, and so '94? I was mid thirties. I'm older than I, I was older then than you are now. But anyway, do you think I could have created that? No. No, and that's the thing. That is the the thing. You have to listen to somebody, and to take a hundred percent credit for anything, that would be foolish. Right. Right, um, like like the hip hop thing. No one, no one in your position could have said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna create these rapper guys. And I I know there are much more than that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and- the thing that I did was believed in them and took them from a mid card tag team and made them a focus of the territory and main event acts that drew a lot of money that people still talk about today. And honestly, it thrills me when I look at all these posts and on Facebook and I do a lot of social media and when they list the great tag teams in Memphis wrestling, almost every one of the, the polls, the opinions that you get PG 13 is on the list with the rock and roll with the fabulous ones with Tommy Gilbert, Eddie Marlin, 
with Barnes and Dundee, with Lawler and White. PG-13's on that list, and that makes me proud, Danny. Yes. Eddie Marlin. He was my mentor. If there wasn't an Eddie Marlin, there would have never been a Randy Hills in the wrestling business. And one of the the great things that's happening to me to today, and I, I will repeat, without Eddie Marlin, there would have never been a Randy Hills in the wrestling business. And it started when I was 10 years old when he asked me to sell his pictures. It's then continued at 13 when he asked me if I would ring an ounce because he was in a bind in Jonesboro and it stuck. It really did. Heck, here I am today still talking pro wrestling. It was all because of Eddie Marlin. Eddie Marlin now is around 89 years old. He has advanced COPD to backtrack. I was uh, been away from the wrestling business in, since 2001. I would talk to Eddie weekly. Uh, I would uh, always kept a relationship. Whenever I was in the Nashville area, I would come to see him. But as far as a daily relationship, didn't have. I was working after the circus went away as the general manager of King Jerry Lawler's Hall of Fame Bar and Grill in Memphis because I had restaurant experience and obviously they wanted somebody with wrestling experience. I had both. So that worked. However, I got burned out big time and decided to leave there. And uh, Jerry Jarrett saw my Facebook and, and said, Randy, you need, there's all, this Nashville is really popping. Willie heavy. You can get a job here immediately. Uh, you need to come. He said, get in your, uh, get in your car and go to Eddie. He said, Eddie, got issues and uh and he said go go to eddie's and he would love having company his wife had died four or five years before eddie's had and he was alone and again he had advanced copd so uh, i came in with the idea that i would get a job however um you know uh at this point he got used to me i was used to him and he needed somebody being with him and so I created the website and all these platforms that I do where I can make some revenue and don't need a lot of revenue, but still today uh, that I'm with Eddie and taking care of Eddie. We had a, a recent major health issue. We about lost him on June the 23rd, but all is right in the world, and he's doing great right now. Terry Funk. Terry Funk. As far as world champions, NWA world champions, I've seen so many, starting with Jack Briscoe. Then my second world champion I saw was Terry Funk. Uh, Harley Race, obviously, as I think about it, it might have that might have been the second one that I saw. Terry Funk, well, kind of the reason I like Chris Jericho today to make it modern is because he's always evolved. It's not the same. Terry's certainly evolved i think terry funk is great the certainly empty coliseum match all the stuff he's done in the tennessee territory and everywhere else too terry funk is wild unpredictable a great talent and one of the legends in our business kurt angle talked about kurt angle earlier kurt was a natural of anybody i've ever seen i remember he was there for that first television and then uh, that night we had a spot show at uh, at a fair, and I, I was sitting in the dressing room with him. And I said, "Kurt, I said, I know you had your first match in front of people today, but how long have you been uh, watching professional wrestling?" I knew he was from Pittsburgh. Figured he was a WWF fan, but he wasn't. He said, "Randy, uh, 
before I had my first training session, I never watched pro wrestling ever. And as an amateur wrestler, I was always taught it was the devil, that it was bad, it was garbage. And uh, said he, after I got out, out of wrestling and, and discovered pro wrestling, he said, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. And he said, I think I will have a pretty good career and make a little money. Boy, was that not the understatement of the year. He was a natural from day one. He had the best. He was the very best I've ever seen early in his career. And Jeff Jarrett was awful good early in his career. But I would have to. And, um, you know, we also saw in 94 Dwayne Johnson's first. And I'm sure you'll get to him. Uh, he, You will we saw his first matches, but the best I've ever seen in his first match is Kurt Angle. So the fact that he's a WWE Hall of Famer does not surprise me a bit because I was there from day one and experienced that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that, those, that's a cool story. Buddy Landau. He had a lot of demons. He had a lot of talent. He, Left this world too soon, but he was a great talent. One of my favorite things of all time, the Bill and Buddy show and the run they had here in the Memphis Territory in late 85, early 86 was great. Buddy worked for me some uh, during that Smoky Mountain USWA program, and he worked for me some for Power Pro Wrestling. I love Bud Rowe. He was in Memphis under the name Flash Savannah, but he's well known as The Rock. 1994, the problem I had with that is I was excited when Jim Ross called me and said, do you have room? And we didn't have an official relationship with the WWF, but Jerry Jarrett had worked for him, and Jerry Lawler was there on Monday Night Raw. And so I was in contact. Jim Ross called me and asked if I had a spot, and I said, absolutely. I said, man, I can just at the top of my head so I can get some heat on him once I get him over with some heels and then bring Rocky Johnson in, his dad, and draw some money. He said, Randy, I'm so afraid you can't do that. I said, I can't do that. I said, that's natural money. He said, I know, but Vince is uh, has idea, and he's firm on it, that he's going to make The Rock the most successful wrestler of all time. And arguably, um, that that's the case. You know, certainly the hottest box office attraction in the country and one of the greatest money-drawing people – him and um, Steve Austin in that era uh, has never been surpassed and probably maybe never will be. But at the same time, they were telling me they had the perfect name or Vince had the perfect name and it was Flex Cavana. I just hate the fact that we had Flex Cavana and not Dwayne Johnson or not Rocky Mavia or not The Rock. However, he was very good in the ring he was good to deal with, and I think, uh, and no, from stories later on, when I, I ran into him one night at a Raw taping after he made his return to the WWE after years and years, I saw him at a show in Washington, D.C. When I was with the circus, I go to visit all her, and Rock, The Rock Dwayne tells us, and I knew him from his dad. You know, I knew him when he was a teenager, and he used to come to the matches. Bill and E and Jerry Lawler remembers him when he was a little bitty boy, you know, uh, and he was real young when Rocky was here in 1976. 
but he appreciates that time when he wasn't making any money, when he was learning the business, and his first territory was the Memphis Territory. I love The Rock, so proud of him. like the fact that he takes care of his mom and daddy, takes care of them. He just, uh, you don't, you know, it's a funny thing about so- social media. How much dirt do you hear about Dwayne Johnson? None. None. There you go. And I'm so proud of that. And he is a good guy. He is. I, I just, I just, I just see like he bought, he, he uses his platform for all the right reasons. Oh, absolutely. I'm so proud Tom of him. Pritchard, Dr. Tom. Dr. Tom is somebody that I like. I've had him on my podcast, Memphis Memories. He's a great guy. I think maybe, maybe he's certainly in the top five, if not number one. I think he's number one, the best wrestling trainer ever. I love Tom. I think he's a great talent, nice guy. I've uh, hung out with him socially, and he's a lot of fun. I really like Tom Pritchard. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I I I remember like like um like I have stories like um with him at the Monster Factory camp and he's just hilarious. Oh yeah, he's a character. He's a character. He's a good guy. I, I love. I can't tell you how much I love him. No doubt. Yep, Dutch Mantel. We'll do a couple more. The Dirty Dutchman, the number one citizen. Oil Trough, Texas. Dutch not only is a great creative guy, he was a great wrestler in that run he had in Memphis. I think he is underrated as a wrestler because he was over in his program with Lawler here in Memphis in, in you know, 81 or 82. I think it was 82. Drew money, and it was very good. I love the Dutchman. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, the Rock and Roll Express. Knew them both before they became the Rock and Roll Express. I think that Robert debuted as a wrestler in 77. Early on, he came in with his brother, Rick Gibson, who's one of the most underrated people I've ever seen. And he drew big money with Jerry Lawler way back in 74. He brought his brother in in 77, 78, and they drew a lot of money. Robert is just a great guy. And another guy that I think you will probably have never read a bad thing about. Ricky Morton started his career as 70 in 78. He was the son of one of our full-time referees, Paul Morton. They both grew up in the business, and they were put together by Jerry Lawler as a tag team in 1983, and they were just a sensational tag team. And again, members of the WWE Hall of Fame, and they deserve it, and maybe worldwide might be considered the greatest wrestling team ever. Ox Baker. Ox Baker is that I don't remember having a personal relationship with him. He came to the Memphis Territory, did not really get over. He was older in his career, uh, and his matches were bad. As far as the legacy of his career, he's been in riots. He's drawn a lot of money, uh, so... Uh, one of the great legends of wrestling, but not a very good run at all in Memphis. Jerry, the king. The king! Lawler. <laughs> I could talk for days, and I have on my podcasts and all my platforms, but I'll just say this, and you can ask questions 
over this. Without a shadow of a doubt, the best professional wrestler I've ever seen in my life. Putting it all together, the character, the relation, being able to, to get reaction from the people, the ability to be a baby face, to be a heel, to take bumps, to get heat, to get sympathy. The greatest wrestler ever in our business. Um, what's your, what, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like a little worn, but what is your favorite riot story in, that you've been involved in? I can tell you a near riot story, and I was in the office. Well, both stories that I'm going to tell you, I was in the office at at that point. However, the night in, uh, help me with the year, I I don't really know. I would guess maybe 87. It was a hair versus hair match with Austin Idol and Jerry Lawler where Tommy Ritz came from underneath the ring. Paul E. Dangerously was at ringside for that. It was a cage match. Lawler's hair was shaved. The people were so hot, Danny. They were as hot and mad as they could be, and they wanted to kill these heels. And I remember, this was a near riot. I remember as a part of the office, you know, I knew I had to have my guys back. And I was out there, and I walked with them along with probably 40 police officers, and they were throwing uh, beer cups and ice and, hot dogs and everything you can think of. And we didn't think we would get out of there alive. So that was real scary. And then one time up in the coal mining country of Everett, Kentucky, we were in the, uh, the coal mining country and uh, they got mad at the hills. They hit the ring or one person looked like a man. Everybody thought they were a man, but he was a woman. And when Roger Smith, Dirty Rhodes, one of the assassins, ended up uh, throwing her off of manager J.D. Costello, the place riot, and we fought our way back to the dressing room. I always tell this story. So they, they were trying to kill us, Nanny. They were absolutely trying to kill us. So I tell everybody, I said, everybody to the babyface dressing room. Well, everybody. So we were working, fighting back, and we were fighting for the people and fighting for our lives. And we all go to the babyface dressing room. So we go to the babyface dressing room, and we shut the door. And we lock the door, and we hear them kicking the, uh, the door. And there was a reason I wanted to go in that babyface dressing room, because I had some help in that babyface dressing room. My briefcase was in there, so we were fixing to even the odd because I knew our life was at stake here, and I wanted to go in that babyface dressing room because of the fact that my briefcase was there. I opened the briefcase, the briefcase, grabbed my pistol, and uh, they knocked the door open, and I, uh, first person that came in, I said, "I'll blow your freaking brains out," and off they went. Now today, I would get arrested, right? I would be in prison the rest of my life the cops were glad i had the gun at that point they were scared of the people as well so that's the most memorable actual riot i've ever been in holy not you don't hear riots like that anymore no and that's probably a good thing oh yeah it's definitely a good thing um because people are like crazy and and they can't they think they own the world honestly 
It's it's just crazy these days, no doubt about it. Plugs. Well, all right. There is so much. The main thing is this. For three years, for 154 shows, I was the owner, the founder, and the president of Power Pro Wrestling. This was NXT before there was an NXT. And in the last year, for the very first time in 20 years, I've made this available to the public in DVDs. I know that technology is kind of dead these days, but a lot of people still have DVD players, and you have the opportunity to, to go to my website. And there's a lot of free stuff, but there's a lot of merchandise uh, as far as DVDs and different things. You can go to Randy Hills, MemphisWrestling.com. Hills is spelled H-A-L-E-S. It's Randy Hills, MemphisWrestling.com, and you need to check out the Power Pro DVDs. Again, we have a full collection that gives you every single solitary show, all 154, the legends of Memphis Wrestling and the developmental talent and people that became like Daniel Bryan, became a world champion, like Kurt Angle, a Hall of Famer, like Jackie Moore, Miss Texas, that became a Hall of Famer. From the Lawlers to the Dundies to the great mainstays and the Power Pro Wrestling originals like Derry King, Brandon Baxter, and so many more, this is a great television product that I think if you've never seen it, this is Memphis Wrestling with a new twist, and if possible, it's wilder and crazier and more unexpected where you expect the unexpected. There is the complete collection that you can get, and right now it's on sale for $200 for 154 shows, a good deal, plus $12 shipping, and you get all 154 shows. But I can understand, if you want to test it out, if you want to sample it, you can get the beginning collection, and this is the first 33 shows. This is from April of 98 when we premiered to the last show of 98 in December. About 30 shows, and you see a lot of talent there. And this is, to me, uh, the one of the best periods of Power Pro Wrestling. And in November of 98, we start the relationship with the WWE developmental thing. My top star was Baldo. Do you know who Baldo is, who he is now? Yes, I do. Matt Bloom. The head guy at NXT. So there's just so much. And uh, in this Power Pro co collection, before Mae Young was ever on WWF television, she was on Memphis television on Power Pro Wrestling or doing a deal. We had a heel from the WWE developmental, Sean Stasiak. And Mae Young, we brought in as Mama Stasiak and did a program, a feud with Stacey the Cat Carter. There's so much. That beginning collection is just $50, $50, and that, no, I'm sorry, I lied, $75, and that's nine DVDs. The other collection is, of course, the Jim Cornette collection, every Power Pro show that Cornette ever was on, and he came in for the uh, full-time, uh, one single shot in February, that show's on there, that month is on there, and also starting in August of 99 through February of 2000. So he, uh, there's eight 
DVDs, over 30 shows on that. That's only $50. Jim Cornette, in his last, the last time he ever had the role as a lead manager or a manager, period, in a full-time wrestling company. So that all kinds of stuff is at Randy Hills, Memphis wrestling.com randy hills memphis wrestling.com and there you can also get links to a lot of my stuff you can get links to my facebook lives my twitter lives my podcast memphis memories you can get there just go the one-stop place for memphis wrestling at randy hills memphis wrestling.com and we have jerry jarrett's two books on sale there Jerry Jarrett's books, he donated those so that the revenue on anything sold of Jerry Jarrett, his photos, or his uh, books go directly to 89-year-old Eddie Marlin. So that's pretty cool as well. I'm also on social media, Facebook. Just search for me, but it's facebook.com slash randy.hills.79. Facebook.com slash randy.hills.79 and i love these facebook lives they're interactive absolutely interactive and what you can get there and they're up on this facebook right now or i want you to follow me on facebook i want you to be able to if you want to watch the facebook lives talking memphis wrestling live you have to be on facebook and you have to be friends with me on facebook so i want out of this show Don, uh, Danny's uh, show today. I want everybody to listen to make sure you follow me on social media. I want you to go to that Facebook and I want you to watch these live shows. That's tremendous. We have special guests all the time on screen and it's interactive. We bring fans in with memories and questions and we do Q&A. That's on Talking Memphis Wrestling. And that show normally is every Sunday and every Thursday at 8.30 Central. I do a Twitter Live talking pro wrestling. It's an interactive type of talk show that's great as well, and uh, that's called Talking Pro Wrestling. We don't not just talk Memphis wrestling. We talk current pro wrestling. That's fun as well. And I started, I started in July a new show that I'm real proud of. It's called A Saturday Morning tradition studio wrestling in memphis it debuted in july i'm just doing that monthly monthly shows just make sure you check my website all the time make you check facebook all the time and we do it live at 11 o'clock central to 12 30 uh, central standard time once a month on a saturday and you know what the significant of that time i chose 11 o'clock and the hour and a half time limit that we're doing on the show any significance can you guess there danny um i can guess that it was the time that memphis was on channel five the time Memphis was on for decades and decades. I mean, I said this on the introduction on my first show for over five and a half decades. And then I say on the thing, it was a thing. It was a time where everything activity stopped in Memphis. Families spent time with families, friends spent time with friends, even the crime rate rate. And this is true. The crime rate in Memphis went to almost nothing at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning because in the glory days, Danny, 
everybody was watching TV5 Wrestling and before that, Channel 13 Wrestling. So I'm proud of that show. Need to check it out. And I'm going to give you homework right now, Danny. And I know that you're a sponge. You're a sponge. You're full of wanting to learn all you can learn about Memphis Wrestling. I want you to go to Randy Hill's memphiswrestling.com now the power pro dvds will be i think some of the best wrestling you'll see it'll be the type of wrestling i can tell by talking to you you'll like but you'll like because it's up there right now right now you just have to scroll down and find it that debut uh saturday morning tradition show and we're playing with technology and we add video of some of the classic memories of memphis wrestling technology not so great Sometimes it's a little shoppy on the video, but I guarantee you, if today, when we say goodbye, when we sign off, and you go, before you do anything else, you need to go, Danny, to RandyHillsMemphisWrestling.com and check that out. And I will conclude, because I'm blown sky high by doing all those plugs, and I think people now should know that the thing to do is go to RandyHillsMemphisWrestling.com Go to Twitter at R.B. Hales, H-A-L-E-S, at R.B. Hales, and you can get more Memphis wrestling stuff you can think of. I pride myself for being the self-proclaimed ambassador of Memphis wrestling, a great territory. Now, as there's so many more people, a huge global audience that love professional wrestling and love to know the history of wrestling and love to know the history of territories, you can't get any better and you will not hear more inside, more detailed, more historical and more honest and accurate news information and opinions on Memphis wrestling anywhere in the world. And we'll do definitely do this again, Randy. I, love your insight on pro wrestling i love you you, you're just a beacon of knowledge you know i always say i'm wrestling born wrestling bred when randy hills dies he'll be wrestling dead amen and you can follow me on twitter at djd cooks wrestle you can follow the social suplex at the social suplex social suplex actually not don't do the the um, socialsuplex.com you can listen to great podcasts such as Keeping It Strong Style my own Get In The Ring where I cover the uh, world of pro wrestling with Beast Mike every Thursday um, and this very show Danny's Chop Shop where we talk to anybody who has a story in relation to pro wrestling. Hey, I got a million stories. I got a million stories. And as far as your Twitter is concerned, tell them again. Are we Twitter buddies? I know you follow me, but I follow you back. You followed me. All right. I mean, Randy, why do I call you Bo? Because Bo connected you and me. Well, that's not an insult to me because Bo James is one of my favorite human beings ever. He's a lot of help. He actually set up the Randy Hills Memphis Wrestling website for me. I couldn't do it. He's my favorite guest on any of my platforms. Bo is uh, underrated as far as not a whole lot of people know who he is. 
However, that's just because the wrestling business changed. Go global, just like a whole. No, people like you, Danny, will let people know who Bo James is. You will let people know all about Memphis wrestling, and especially, and I appreciate this time, your time. I appreciate the chance for you to smarten the world up on, because you're a young guy, real, real young. It kind of gets heat with me that you're 23, because I remember those days <laughs> at the same time. I think hopefully in this show that I can keep up with the young guy. I think that's been proven. I think I can talk cool because I have, have I been negative? Have I been negative about young people today? Have you felt uncomfortable because I resent younger people? Have you felt any of that, Danny? No, no, I haven't felt any of that. Actually. I felt this was a great conversation and you, you expand on things that people don't normally expand on. And it's great that we have wrestling minds such as you, Bo James, Jim Cornette, um, Tom Pritchard, a bunch of other wrestling names that want to expand on this industry. Well, I love it. I love professional wrestling. I love Memphis wrestling. And I wish you all the luck in the world. You still doing any Monster Factory stuff? You do any wrestling? Do you need a booker? What's going on with that? I believe... I forget when the next show is. Oh, it's August 3rd. Because Saturday, August 4th um, is our next Monster Factory show, which, which is... August 3rd, actually. My bad. Danny Cage is going to kill me for misrepresenting the Monster Factory. And Well, I'm hot at you myself, and uh, I cannot believe you're making wrestling promoters roll over in their grave. And, you know, our wrestling business people roll over in his grave. You can never forget the dates. And, by the way, smarting people up to this uh, thing, and we were booked. We were both booked here on this show today. Now, who got here first? O-R-H, Randy Hales, or Danny? Who got here first? First, um, And it's not like I got got here. I called it right when you messaged me. It yeah, no, you were, you were not late. You, no, you weren't late. But I was early. That's my point. Yes. So, and late is on time. All right. Every, that is true. And here's another thing that you probably could tell by listening to Bo and me too. If you're booked, you're booked, you go. So many stories. Legend, Tennessee, East Tennessee legend, Don Wright. What happened? His house burned down. He was booked two late, days later. He went. He made his booking. And I can give you so many, so many examples of that. For sure, if you're booked, you go. Right, and go and tinyurl.com slash Don Wright. Go fund me for more information on that. And for Randy Hales, this is Danny Kukler, and that was Danny's Chop Shop. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.